0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risks to our country. Freedom
2: brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com.
0: Welcome to the program. We are going to talk about... Listen, I had a tragedy... Happened to me I was moderately inconvenienced And as a white man I was outraged I went to get my quesarito And Taco Bell was closed at 7pm on a weekday And I was like what the hell is going on There must be something happening here So I've convened a panel To discover how we can fix this Because the quesarito is delicious But Taco Bell you're full of shit Because they've cancelled the quesarito And they're not serving it anymore I, I just <sighs> quit getting rid of things. And I got rid of the Chalupa. No, the Gordito. Anyways, uh, we're off track already. Uh, we're going to talk about why Taco Bell is closed, what it's like working in the service industry here at the tail end of COVID, and a m- lot of other. Th- I talked so long that I ran out of music. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break. Warning. This show is for adults by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive.
3: Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh.
0: Welcome to the Chris Bangle Show. Our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. If you struggle to understand politics, we explain it from an independent libertarian point of view. With all of the irreverence it deserves, we toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties,
2: and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, Chris Spangle, a 15-year veteran of politics and media.
0: Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. It is so great to be with you. Uh, We are making a lot of upgrades. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, here at the We Libertarians Network. And we want to thank all of our patrons first and foremost for making that possible. I cannot tell you how much money I have spent on the network in the last uh, month. Uh, it's, it's a lot. And it's all possible thanks to our patrons and especially our $100 a month members, John Pasillo, Casey Feldposh, Lars Nordskog. Jake Edel, Matthew Durbin, Jeff Bennett, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Little, (laughs) Doolittle, not Jason Little. (laughs) Thank you to every Wall Plus subscriber for keeping the We Are Libertarians podcast network thriving. Uh, Got a great note, too, uh, and if you are on the fence about uh, helping us just impact more people, you know, tens of thousands of people listen to the We Are Libertarians network, tens of thousands of people listen to the Chris Spangle show, And we really do make an impact. And my friend Raquel on IG, it's journey.sessions, she wrote in, and you may remember, uh, we did a fundraiser for a mom in a tough situation a few years ago. And Raquel was that person, and she just wanted to give an update. And she said, uh, still a listener and think of you as a forever friend. I don't know if I have properly said this, but thank you. You helped me, a complete stranger, in one of the most difficult and darkest moments of my life. Without a desire for freedom, I would have never found wall. I had no idea at the time in 2016 or 17 that desire for freedom would propel me into finding myself again and shedding so much. You were a true friend to a listener at the end of a rope. You helped me, give, you helped me have a voice. Your community helped me when the church I grew up in turned a blind eye to my situation. Keep it up, Chris. So... All of the different We Are Libertarians shows, the Chris Spangle show, uh, all of our co-hosts here on the Wish Her the Best, and we raised $5,000 for her at a time when she needed to get out of a very dangerous situation, and uh, just is blossoming, and we are so thankful for this audience, and uh, we we love each and every one of you, and it is all possible because of our patrons, which you can join at joinwallplus.com, W-A-L. And uh, all the best to Raquel. Just go give her a follow at journey.sessions. I didn't didn't say Rachel, did I? It's Raquel. Um, So, I don't know. Let's introduce the panel. We're going to talk a little bit uh, about uh, why my Taco Bell was closed at 7 p.m. With us, as always, is Harry Price. Uh, We have been off... Live for about three weeks, I had to record the history podcast. The first episode of the History of Modern Politics was released to patrons last night. So you can go and listen to episode one. We're releasing one on the 1st and 15th of every month. And we had to get that ball rolling. So thank you for patience. But then after I was done recording, we went to Gunther's birthday party. And our families all mingled and we had fun. And we watched Paul uh, just... Strike out with uh, a home run. Uh, uh, We can't even get into how hopeless Paul Copeland is. Sometimes he gives me secondhand suicide. Uh, (laughs) Harry, I mean, it was really just like, (sighs) what is
1: wrong with Eeyore over there? (laughs) All right. First off, Paul's not Eeyore. It's just, you know, (laughs) Paul's Paul. I know. He's a hopeless
0: libertarian, but that's why we love him. Yeah, I mean, this it, girl was so it. into him, and he had he just nothing. He was just – he won't ask her out. What are we doing here?
1: All right, so um, when it comes to Paul's personal life, I'll tell you right now, who is someone who has poked a finger into it? It's dangerous. Don't do it. It's Paul.
0: Awful. Paul's yeah. one of our co-hosts, and we love him, but – uh, Paul. But Gunther – is beautiful, happy, fun. Uh, this is the first time I've met Gunther, your 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 child, and uh, we had such a great time. And uh, happy birthday to Gunther!
1: Yep, uh, she, she finally turned uh, yeah four years old. So it's that's how long it's been. Uh, yeah, no, I know. Uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> and, and and it was so nice. Like your mother, shout out to your mother in law and your your mom was there too. Mm-hmm. She's like she listens, and uh, your mother in law, every every man should want their mother-in-law to talk about them the way that Harry's mother-in-law talks about him. She was just like, I love him. He is the greatest man. I'm so glad that he is married to my daughter. It was just very, very sweet.
1: Oh, Yeah, well. Yeah, she's been my mom. She helped me uh, through college, so she has been there through, me with my growth, and got me where I, you know she assisted my mom to get me where I am today. So I have many moms. It Helps out, but yeah, it was. Great. I, have I have had many moms these- too. Yeah. It's it's also great to just having the kids outside playing. Yes, with no mask on. There was no masks, not one mask in the park. Yep. Nope. Except so uh- when we were indoors, we all wore masks indoors the entire time. My,
0: my girlfriend's daughter, she's two, she's never worn a mask, and we went to the Children's Museum, and she was very excited to get a mask for the first time, and then 15 seconds later took it off. <laughs> um, Reinhold, how are you doing?
4: You, you, your hair is getting long. It is getting long, and uh, i just letting it go. I'm going to see how, see how long we can do this and return to my old 70s roots when, when we used to wear our hair like that all the time. I know people are Uh, mad at you because you're a liberal, but really you're just like an old deadhead. I'm an old hippie. That's all it is. So, Um, uh, But work has been crazy this week, so I am just kind of like realizing that it's Saturday. For the first time and starting to get started to calm down a little bit well, I knew you'd be mostly useless
0: because you're brain dead this week, so i inv- I'm just really being sweet today um, and that so I've invited a panel on I listened to uh, we, we're making a bunch of different changes to the network I've decided i'm going to keep doing this, and i'm going to turn it into a business and then make everybody just yeah we're the We are libertarians network is uh growing and going to be the envy of the entire movement within the next uh, three weeks. You'll see why. And part of that is because we've added Hody Johns. He has, if you've listened to the podcast feed, The Enemy of Our Enemy, it now has its own feed, so go and subscribe to that. And uh, Hody logged on today and had a, had no hat.
2: He had just shaved. And i got to say, Hody, very fleshy. <laughs> I am... Uh... I, I can't pretend to be anything other than white. It's what I... You know, they say white isn't an identity, and I just exist to prove that wrong.
0: I mean, Hody, it's startling how white and translucent you are, and hairless. It is. For can those you...
2: watching the video, this wall behind me is white, and it's not as white as I am white. Take the I mean, hat this off. This is... Take eggshell. the hat off. This is... Hey, yeah. I mean, you can see some bald, too. I mean... I mean, this is just
0: incredible. Just barely look at this gleam i get face. on the side of the
2: head here it's the- <laughs> just
0: uh white teeth and black uh, and brown eyes floating in the air zach yeah. <laughs> zach welcome back to the program you are the inspiration hody's conversation with trisha on the gingerarchy podcast was uh the the catalyst and i came back to you because you are a service worker in uh, 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 in re- the restaurant industry hody is a former restaurant employee who has moved on to different jobs you both have served um, Trisha was going to join us, but worked at the bar till 2.30 last night and said, this is exactly why I never want to do this again. But you predicted in our episode in January, the coming collapse of restaurant employee uh, employment and how many changes needed to be made. And I'd invite people to go back and listen to that. But why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and then what we talked about, you know, succinctly so people understand, uh, who you are and why they should, listen to you as we talk today
3: uh yeah i um, <clears throat> i mean i've dedicated my life uh since i could work to the service industry uh been in management for about the last five or six years uh, you know I, I i i now i currently
0: oh we're, we're we're fuzzing out that's uh so zach has worked in the uh industry i'm just gonna go ahead and remove him and then hopefully he will uh Bounce back. But, Hody, you've worked in the service industry for how long? Kind of give us the background of uh, your work.
2: Yeah. So, I've probably been uh, occasional offs. I did work at, the, like, back at the bank for, like, six months at one point. But uh, I've been working in the service industry. If I were to put them all together, probably about 12, 13 years. I did spend, much like Zach, I spent uh, five to six years in management. Um, I have I even gotten to not upper management, but restaurant management to the point where you're running the books and looking at numbers. And I'm excited to uh, answer some of these questions. We got Zach back. Yeah, Yeah,
3: sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened there. That's Um, okay. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. That's Uh, okay. Yeah. So I I manage a a decent little Italian restaurant in Carmel. I have uh, I've been doing this for a while management wise. And I've just seen I've done a lot of different styles from high volume sports bars to laid back casual to, you know, a little finer dining. So I've seen a lot of the different things that happen in the industry and how people are uh, reacting to it. Uh, you know, Chris and I talked about, like I, like he said, uh, I, a few months ago, I kind of knew that a lot of this was going to happen. Uh, Hody, uh, in the episode with Tricia, mentioned how people in the service industry, we're used to hustling, we're used to working, we're used to doing everything we can to make money, uh, especially it, our industry is very feast or famine. So when everything got shut down, a lot of people moved on to different opportunities. Uh, they also learned that you can do a lot of the similar things with delivery services without having to interact with the public a whole lot. Um, and that-
0: Which really seems to be the key, not interacting with the public. Um, I mean, you know, Trisha, so there there was a great post by Chrissy Wickers that was mentioned and fully read in Trisha's episode where there's this idea that people are not working in the service industry because they're getting welfare. And, Chris- and that's ridiculous yeah right like a lot of the people that i know that were getting unemployment if they got it got it months after they were laid off during the pandemic last year they got 130 dollars a week or like my barber shop none of those guys uh, uh, qualified for any of the assistance and they just went two or three months without any employment um so the idea like that people are lusting after this 130 dollars because uh, correct me if i'm wrong but i think like, the, the extra $600 a week or whatever it was is is ended, right? Like, if you're on unemployment, it, it, uh, Hody, you're shaking your head. Like, the, the welfare is kind of starting to, to trend downward, and, and I think 12 states have ended all the assistance and trying to drive people back to work.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can just give you the numbers right now. So one year ago, when food service got hit, we were the number one uh, recipients of the you know, welfare and in Colorado. Now this is specifically for Utah, the numbers that I have, but we're now fifth. Um, we're yeah. Food service workers are now fifth as far as claiming, claiming that. So it's unemployment, Unemployment, right? So we're not even in the top four anymore, you know? So, so it's funny because everybody's noticing this because people have frequent interactions with food service workers, but we're not even that we're not even impacted as much as some of the others anymore um the other problem here with with saying that oh they just sat back and collected welfare (laughs) that's only if you reported all your tips that you got to keep all that amount like whatever you were (laughs) making before Um, we're all libertarians here so i think i have no problem saying we weren't reporting all of our tips to pay taxes on and the thing is is our base salary here in utah uh, again this, this is gonna vary state by state i mean even the unemployment varies state by state but we're here at $2 and 13 cents an hour. If you don't claim anything on top of that, you have to claim a little bit. Otherwise your employer has to bump you up to whatever the minimum wage is. Um, and here that's like $7 and 23 cents an hour. Um, when you're a server, uh, I mentioned this on, on Trisha's show when, when you're a server, you're making anywhere between 20 to $25 an hour. If you're worth your salt, frankly, most servers can do that if they're adequate at their job. Um, they're hu- we're hustlers and you basically just told hustlers, Hey, take this $7 an hour when you're used to making $25 an hour. Um, of course we took it at first. I mean, if you're tacking that on with set with $600, you know, plus as Chris mentioned. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll take that. But as soon as that stopped, we're out. Um, Jamie works, uh, my girlfriend works in, uh, in another restaurant and her restaurant actually never wanted to pay out the unemployment. Hmm. And so what they did is they said, we're, we will, this is a, this is a very, uh, this is a tough move, but it's a mom and pop store, so I understand why they did it. Um, but they, what they did is they said we will employ you here for minimum wage because we don't want to pay you the unemployment, and you can just work and fix and clean things. And gradually, everybody, because they said, well, okay, so we're not going to get unemployment, or we can work for minimum wage, we're going to go find a different job. So her. Her job, actually, uh, is having a lot of trouble finding new servers. They're one of the ones that when you see, like, hey, we're closed today because we can't find enough staff, she works at, she worked at one of those. And then mine was uh, Golden Corral, as most of you can imagine. Everybody loves the chocolate fountain in the middle of a uh, pandemic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everybody just wants to stick their fingers in there and try a little bit. Uh, Golden Corral, obviously, the numbers never bounce back. I actually planned on – I got my dream job um, while I had that time off because – yeah, I, I, I want more than $7 an hour. Uh, I now write about video games and play video games, and I love it. Um, and I imagine that a lot of servers did exactly what I did, which was say, yeah, I'm not going back to a place that maybe has half the customers that we had before closing. People stayed <laughs> home. They learned to cook for themselves. They don't want to go out to Golden Corral anymore. And, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that job. Even if I can make, you know, $15 an hour, the work the work demanded zach knows he's managed it before the work that's demanded of your servers is if you're not making 20 dollars more an hour it's it's not worth it
0: yeah and and zach i mean you're deeply connected to the the restaurant industry indy has a thriving restaurant industry 12th largest city um it's a convention city with a lot of pro sports so there's a ton of restaurants here and and you know know a lot of folks i mean there's. What Hody described there in Utah jive with what you're seeing. People didn't want to deal with the extra regulations, didn't want to deal with the lower pay, and went and found other
3: jobs. Uh, absolutely, uh, he's one. Same thing in Indiana. Uh, a lot of it also, people didn't want to deal with you know these petty arguments that people brought up with mass mandates, like you know servers have no control over that. So wait, it's, you're telling
0: me that turning employees <laughs> at, at businesses into cops? It was, it, was a down, it
3: was a downfall as well, All you right. know, that uh, there are uh, managers like myself and, and the other ones on my team currently that, you know, we, we definitely handled it uh, as much as we could. But, you know, I, I, a lot of people, I don't know, being cooped up for a year uh, made people forget how to be in society sometimes. But um, it's, you know, a lot of people just got done dealing with the extra stuff that that people don't realize service industry deals with on a regular basis. Like what? Uh. uh <laughs> Say it. People making people making reservations for four at seven o'clock and then showing up with eight at seven fifteen and demanding a table, Um, you know, uh, being upset that uh, we don't carry a certain product or not understanding how distribution works and how when everything reopens, we know how to order food and how to order beverages. But sometimes it just wasn't available for us to get, Uh, you know, a a lot of a lot of people come in very entitled uh, when dealing with service worker uh, service industry workers. And not understanding the amount of time and the amount of effort that we put into this, it, it got daunting, and a lot of people just got done with with dealing with all of that, especially with uh, you know DoorDash and Uber Eats and Grubhub and uh, grocery delivery and a lot of things that you can do on your own time and your own hours and still try to hustle and make money. And a lot of people in the service industry were were used to that. You know, they they knew on a Monday night they weren't going to pay their rent, uh, but on a Friday night they definitely were. So. It's, uh, you know, they, they found other ways to supplement that income without having to, to deal with a lot of the extra stuff. Uh, from my personal view in Indiana, uh, you know, I've already changed man- management jobs in the last two months. Uh, a lot of it is going to come down to the culture that has been built in the restaurant, uh, the, the, the skill level. Um, my personal view is the places that I, I've seen that are, that are struggling to hire they have, uh, you know, either a poor culture or maybe not. As Hody mentioned, maybe they're not ready to go back to full capacity yet, or they still have restrictions that are affecting people's money. And the, uh, the the restaurants I see that are thriving and and don't really require a lot of staffing are the ones who uh, had that had a nice culture and have have people that have wanted to be there and they want to work there and. Uh, have uh, management and chefs and, and that know what they're doing and know how to you know handle people and and really put their their employees first, which is something that you know a lot of a lot of places did not do before the pandemic, I believe.
0: So I, I our friend Ryan Lindsay shared a me on my wall, uh, you see all these nobody wants to work anymore signs, and he said it was Homer saying nobody wants to work for you.
3: Yeah, exactly. Now that has a lot to do with it, the service industry specifically, man.
0: So explain like a good culture versus a bad culture. Like what, why? I mean, I'm not going to ask you about the particulars of why you switched, but like in general, what are the restaurants that are going to make it versus the restaurants that aren't?
3: Passion in all honesty. And I know that sounds strange. Um, The places that, that a lot of the places that are thriving right now um, are places with a lot of career industry people in areas that, have customers. Uh, Hamilton County is doing very well when it comes to the service industry, uh, for the places that are busy. And uh, that has a lot to do with the culture. Uh, it also has a lot to do with understanding, you know, the customer isn't always right, which is a big, a big issue in the service industry, uh, when interacting with people and that culture really comes from training people to handle their job the right way and making sure that the execution is right and that you feel supported. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time together in, in very stressful situations. Um, you know, I, I read a study a few years ago where a restaurant in, uh, at the height of dinner rush is one of the most stressful jobs a person can have. You're multitasking. You have 15 different things on your mind that you have to handle at the same time, all while trying to maintain a smile and, and, and literally perform for tables uh, and really show off your personality. It's very emotionally draining, and uh, a good culture is a place where you're not going to have eight to 12-hour shifts. You know, that, that six-hour window is almost the dream for servers. That uh, seems to be the most that uh, servers and bartenders really, that's the that's the key, is a shorter window to make as much money as possible because it is a lot of work uh, to be good in this industry.
0: Uh, this is, we're talking to Zach Rath, who is a general manager of restaurants here in Indianapolis, and Hody Johns, who uh, is a service worker that left to find his dream job. And we're talking about why is my Taco Bell closed at 7 p.m. I can't believe that people don't want to work at Taco Bell. Um, I mean, a lot of these a lot of these jobs are good jobs, but the I mean, either Hody or Zach, you you tell me. But I, I'm gonna sound elitist here, and I'm gonna sound like a prick, and I'm sorry for that. But like I always viewed like being a server as like a starter job. Like you started, I started at delivering pizzas at Donato's. That's my only service job, right? And then you kind of like go on to your professional career. I didn't realize how much servers made and how great of a job it can be in its own professional sense, right? Like, I mean, how has that changed over the last year? And like we make the distinction here on the show between the pandemic and the behaviors changing because of people's, you know, fears over the pandemic or concerns over their own safety, versus government lockdowns right um so how has let's say the government mandates and lockdown procedures and how has that changed the job specifically um let's start there and then i'll ask the other question
3: Uh, i at least from my point of view i just i see a lot of people you know the lockdowns especially with the capacity restrictions hody touched on it as well um The more people in the building, the more you're going to make as a server or bartender. And when we have to cut down on tables and capacity, there's less money to go around. Uh, You know, bartenders specifically uh, in Indiana, we weren't allowed to seat people to bar for so long. So essentially that took away uh, a lot of their regulars, which is how they make their money.
0: So you Uh, had demand. It just was completely cut off by government
3: restrictions. I, I I, I, I would say it was hit or miss. I think early on in the pandemic when we reopened, Uh, It was still really people really uh, cautious about coming out. Uh, But as we've moved on, you know, those capacity restrictions, especially in in Marion County, really put a damper on things that uh, people were used to doing. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the kind of entry level job. And that's true. There are restaurants that that are entry level positions um, moving forward. There are also a lot of career opportunities for servers, bartenders, management, cooks, chefs. Uh, As you move up, you know, as you as your skill level gets better, you get better opportunities, better companies, better paying opportunities, uh, better chances to make money. And so, I I I get the idea that it's an entry level position, but I started at 21 and I never looked back. Uh, I knew that I was going to be in this industry for my for the rest of my career.
0: Yeah, Hody, touch on that.
2: Yeah. uh, So Golden Corral had substantial restrictions, obviously being a buffet there's going to be some problems there and (laughs) and things that you want to fix. Look, I I mean, I already threw the chocolate fountain under the bus, but buffets aren't always the cleanest place we know because it's only as clean as your neighbor, you know? And so what they, what they did is they said, uh, okay, so everybody has to have a new piece of silverware with every trip now. And the server has to be the one to get that silverware with every single trip now. And that silverware has to be wrapped up and your server is the one wrapping that up. And, they have to get you a plate every single time. You can't grab your own plate anymore. And we can't give you a bunch of plates at the beginning. We have to give you one at a time. And it's just all these things made it. I, I, one of the reasons I I believe I put in my notice three days after I actually came back Mm. um, from the job, because it was just, it was so obvious that I was like, I'm doing, I have half the business. I'm making half the money. And I'm doing twice the work like it, it is. I was drenched in sweat. And, you know, when you're drenched in sweat and leaving with 80 bucks after a full day, you're like, no, this is this ain't it. I'm, I'm making I, I could have written three articles and made one hundred dollars. And, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. So um, I did want to I did want to touch on some of these things because because mine changed drastically. You asked a lot of questions in there, Chris. Uh, why is my Taco Bell closed at seven o'clock? Um, I actually have run the books for a fast food restaurant um, for Chick-fil-A. This was a while ago, but it's one of the most stressful things that you can do because all fast food restaurants are basically looking at somewhere between like 1%, 2%, 3% profits. And those profits, if your restaurant is open for 24 hours, if your fast food restaurant is open for 24 hours, your profits are going to come within like a, about eight, eight hours of the majority of them. Mm. And you're going to be looking at like a 70% loss on all the rest of those hours. So a lot of these, they have the help. They have just enough help to get through the rush. And there's no way your Taco Bell even wants to think about opening at, at even slow ish hours. Cause like I said, when you're dealing with a slight percent, one, two, three percent, and now you've got a government loan that you have to pay off on top of it. You can't afford to stay open for 24 hours walmart's recognize this that's another one that cuts very slight profit margins um fast foods a a big one but basically you say look yeah texas roadhouse is a great model and they did this even before the pandemic um anybody goes to a texas roadhouse you'll probably notice most of them aren't open for lunch especially during weekdays none of them are open for breakfast they do make exceptions um when I was a corporate trainer, I actually visited some that made an exception for ones that were extremely busy and they knew they were going to be extremely busy. But the thing about these profits is they are so slim that it only makes sense to be open during certain hours. Now, why then, in non-pandemic times, you might ask, did they stay open for longer? Well, you're more likely to come back during a busy time if you regularly shop there. And so they want to stay open. Basically, if you say, well, I went there at midnight one night so I am going to go there for the next seven times during their normal hours, and so they do it as a trap, just to basically say, "Okay, you you were out at two a.m., you got some McDonald's because you were on a road trip, but now you are hooked on McDonald's. You love those fresh fries, don't you? And you are going to come back here for lunch, um, and so that's why." But they can't afford that that hook right now, um, and so they you they really can't afford to do it. It's part staff, of course, and I don't want to I don't want to ignore the the staff that isn't tipped. Tipped positions are awesome. I will stand by this, and I will argue with. If this turns into the whole rest of the episode, I'll argue with you, with you this all day. I love being tipped. I do not want a flat wage. One, I hate paying taxes, and so it's nice to not have a flat wage, so that way I can not H- pay taxes. H- to, be,
0: to be clear, Hody pays all of his taxes and reports all of his income <laughs> a, 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 every single time. <laughs>
2: Right, regular winkety wink, right? Yeah, no. I. Uh, but but here's part two of that is it is paid for performance. I think it's funny because people are talking about how servers should be paid a flat wage. In reality, I think everybody else should be tipped. I think the world would be a better place if we tipped based on performance. I know my service is is a lot better because I'm paid based on my performance. If I were paid a flat wage, I would not nearly do the things that I do. I am a college graduate. I got my degree in theology. Um, I'm a paramedic too. Um, I took three semesters of courses to to ride on an ambulance. I worked in a hospital. Um, I wasn't technically a CNA, but I did all those jobs, um, IVs and EKGs and all that. And I made a ton more money and it was a lot more fun being a server and doing tipped jobs. If I were tipped for the work I did at the hospital, I'd probably love that more too. Because it's just, it like like Zach mentioned, it's filled with hustlers. People that work in the service industry love to hustle. Now, the guys at your Taco Bell aren't getting tips. And so that's going to be the first domino to fall because they weren't even getting tips beforehand. So why the heck do they want to go back to a minimum wage McDonald's? you know, no chance, you know? Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and let me ask Zach, and I know you got a, what time do you need to bounce? 10? About 15 minutes. Yeah. Okay.
3: Um, I'm going to put a 12 hour shift in the life of a restaurant manager. But yeah, uh, I uh, I love it though. As Hody said, like I, I, the people who are, who are still hustling and doing this, we love our job. So,
0: Uh, let me ask you, because we talked about this in the episode, so we don't need to go too far into it, but I want you to touch on it again here in case people, most people probably won't go back and listen, but, um, you, you touched on that. Like there's a lot of conversation about making it a flat wage, making it like, uh, getting rid of the tipping system and giving people, you know, and, and you talked about why that would just close a lot of restaurants and why that's not viable.
3: Uh, Yeah, just the amount of work that, that, as Hody said, I mean, it's one of the very few jobs where I agree with Hody that you get tipped based on how good you are at it. Um, There's exceptions to that rule, clearly. I mean, some people uh, don't understand uh, how to tip, but a lot of it is just based off your performance. And that also goes to the culture of the restaurant, the clientele and those kind of things that draw people in to want to work for you uh, is, you know, being rewarded for being good at something. And if we go to a flat rate. You know, a lot of people that's not going to they're not going to be drawn to this um, because for that performance and the thing, the extra things you have to do to make sure a service runs smooth behind the scenes. It's just not worth their time. Uh, You know, I I was I worked in Los Angeles and they they have a a flat hourly rate and it is very high for their service industry employees. And I noticed that uh, uh, it's easier for them to kind of phone it in when they're not willing to perform. Mm. And that's the difference between having that those tip positions to a flat rate from a from a management and ownership standpoint is is wanting people who are good at their job and want to work. Whereas if we paid everyone a flat rate, that's going to cut a lot of jobs. I mean, uh, I know Hody mentioned Utah 213 is the same in Indiana, but that's just the base pay. Uh, I don't know any server or bartender worth their salt that doesn't want to make twenty to twenty five an hour after tips. And so th- to to pay you know nine to ten servers that just to run a floor that's a lot of money. I mean, that's a that's a lot of money each year that would come out of the out of the books. And that's going to hurt uh, quality of product, uh, you know, back of house staff. Those kind of things are immediately going to go to the wayside. And if we could do it at a tap rate, uh, you know, Hody mentioned a place like uh, Texas Roadhouse, Ted's Montana Grill, these very large seating restaurants that can hold 100 115 people. They need 15 to 20 servers on w- at their peak hours and it, paying them a flat rate not only affects the service you're going to get, but also affects the servers because they don't have a chance to really uh, expand and make the money that they're capable of making.
2: Zach, I want to add on to that point. I, I opened two restaurants in uh, Washington back when I was a corporate trainer. One I did as uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, one I did for Texas Roadhouse. In both of them, we found ways to either get rid of or severely limit the servers. In Buffalo Wild Wings, we limited the numbers of servers Service was, I mean, one server had eighty tables. Yeah. People generally had to serve themselves. You know, we left, you know, soda and everything, so that it was accessible. The Texas Roadhouse we opened was like it's like, it was like the Sizzler where you go up and you order something from the front, and they just had runners. We they no servers there. Okay. Um, and it's and that's that's what you get with a flat rate. Now I believe that flight was high. That was a, I believe both of them it was thirteen thirteen an hour. Okay, so it was very high, but. I mean, and, and the situation of the people who even worked there to make that 13 13 an hour, I mean, there would be, we had four employees, I, I remember, who all roomed together. I mean, and, and and if housing just became very expensive, it's just this flat rate thing is not good overall. I was just trying to bolster your point, Zach. Uh,
0: I, I don't know if Harry or Reinhold, if you want to hop in here and uh, ask any questions or make any points, but
4: I want to give you a chance just in case. Reinhold? Uh-huh. Well, I do have a couple of things I wanted to bring up too. So with fast, what I've noticed with the way society is right now, we have a lot of businesses are still doing remote work, and I think a lot of businesses are going to continue doing remote. Fast food restaurants are going to make their make their money off of volume. People go to fast food because they're working and they're going to the work. They're driving home. They got to the commute. They stop off and grab something to eat. They don't. If you had to think, I want to go get food. Are you going to go fast food restaurant as opposed to a regular restaurant if you have the, if it's going to be the same amount of time that you're going to be involved in doing so? And with a lot of restaurants now having to kind of switch their model and doing a lot more carry out. Right. Mm-hmm. You can now and, and you're working from home. You're not just come kind of stopping off somewhere on the way home from work and you want to get something to eat. Are you going to go to a Taco Bell or are you going to call up the restaurant next door? And have something ordered, go pick it up. It takes the same amount of time to go there to get it and bring it back home. So you're going to do that instead, instead of going to the fast food restaurant where you know that they're churning through a lot of people, a lot of volumes. So you're not going to get the same level of care about your food preparation as you are if you go to a restaurant and have that done. And so that's, I think that's why the, the, you're seeing the tip of all of this and in the, in the fast food places. Uh, but hmm. it's going to trickle down, too. So it's just kind of a change in the way we're doing things. Let me ask um, Zach or Hody, and then we'll go to Harry.
0: How how much has the pandemic kind of permanently, you know, my, I'm permanently work from home basically now. I mean, it's changed the way that I interact with my job in, in very positive ways. Um, we now that means I go out to eat more because I'm tired of being in my house. Um but I know not everybody's like that, and not everybody. Uh, w- everybody was more cautious than I was. <laughs> I've been to Florida twice in the last year. Um, but Zach, how much has this permanently changed the industry? Like, do you think there that like a year from now we'll kind of be back to where we were two years ago, or do you think that there are permanent changes with carryout and the business models that that are going to last?
3: I, I think the carryout is, as as Ryan all said, I think that's pretty permanent. Um, I know that. Uh, indeed posted something that almost 20% of jobs they're posting are remote work now. Mm. Um, so I think that that carry out is going to be uh, a permanent thing. The restaurant I, I currently work for, we did not do carry out uh, because of the style of food that we do is, 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 is doesn't travel well. Right. Uh, but now we have people coming in frequently. They went to straight carry out during pandemic. And now we've continued that on. Um, I think the biggest change and and the, a lot of people aren't understanding is also childcare and, you know, the hours that, you know, seven o'clock and, and, and those late nights on Friday and Saturday, a lot of people are uh, feel unsafe safe, leaving their children with people or, you know, uh, the dangers of getting sick or bringing something home back to them. Childcare has a lot to do with with what is happening with a lot of the industry right now, I believe.
0: Hmm. How do you weigh in on that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh... And some of the comments are mentioning on this too. There's a lot of abuse that people get in the service industry. Uh, a lot of people leave it because not because the money's bad. Most people leave it to make less money, but because they get sick of, of dealing with so much of what the environment is. Zach mentioned the importance of having a good culture and he is, I'm, he is spot on on that. I've worked for many, even when I was the boss, I had a boss Who made the culture just absolutely putrid they treat the people exactly like like you talked about like these are dropout high school dropout kids everybody's an idiot except for me and they walk around like king like they're kings on their little fiefdom and it's it's bad enough when it's the customers but i don't expect customers to behave well (laughs) Uh, uh, to be honest with you here's the thing for me good we live in a society okay we live in a society Right, but for me, good service is giving good service to people that are having bad days uh-huh. to to turn that around somehow. Because anybody, wait, can wait, serve, you if if, if everybody who comes in is in a good mood, you're not doing anything talented if you do a good job serving them. <laughs> you could have messed up everything, and they would have been happy and smiled.
0: Get about a it. load of this guy <laughs> being a nice person. Ugh.
2: but good good service is all about treating people who are having rough days and who are abrasive and and turning it into a positive interaction and the best servers are the ones that can do that now i am fine with taking that abuse all day a lot of times even like those people who have high demands they they pay well now of course everybody has the horror story about the guy who demanded a thousand things and stiffed you on the bill everybody has that flat out I I more often than me not getting a tip that I did deserve I got a tip that I did not deserve mm. I, I got extra I mean and that's just and so well it, it is our tendency to dislike people because we think about the worst customer we had tonight well we had a hundred customers tonight and if only three of them stuck out as bad and 20 of them were like way nicer to us than we should have been then I ended up coming out making more than I probably deserved right and so um but the, the abuse from the management and from the upper management, and you can tell with these billboards that nobody wants to work for these people, and you can see exactly why. When mm. management sticks that sticker up there and just says, everybody's lazy, nobody wants to come right. in, <laughs> I hate everybody. And you look at, and look at what companies are doing that are, Zach mentioned successful companies, successful strategies. What are they doing? They're upping their pay. They're leading with their environment. They're saying, come be a part of this. This is a family. This is a lot of fun. We're going to pay you right. We're going to treat you right. We're going to give you all these concessions. Because the, what you have is a bunch of these people who walked around like they're these, these kings on their, their – their, and you're just a serf. You know, They're kings on their serfdom. And, and it is just – it is a putrid behavior. It's something I have seen in most – I'd even say most – like store owner or above position. Those people are absolute jerks. I understand the society's beating them down. Most of them do. I totally grant this work 80 plus hour weeks. Um, but it takes, a, it, it's kind of like being a politician. They do have to work hard, but it takes a special kind of psychopath to sign up for working that hard. And so <laughs> therefore the result that you get is like, leadership by psychopaths and this is kind of what happens in restaurant work is they take those people who are willing to sacrifice more and more and more of their family time because they just don't care about humanity anymore they lose that touch the successful ones like i mean i saw this chipotle the other day they're not having problems because they're bumping up their wages right you're just gonna have to do it uh
0: now we're, we're about to ready to say goodbye to zach so before we go to harry i want to get his thoughts on one last thing um vincent writes there are only so many times you can get called the n-word Thoughts? how many times <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> make it awkward well let's let's say goodbye to i mean that that like that typifies it right like you, your your sandwich is wrong or you forgot the fries so you're gonna call somebody the n-word like what grow up people this is why i, <laughs> I need to be in charge um Zach, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here, and uh, best of luck today, and hopefully you don't get called the N-word.
3: Right, hopefully not, and I, I hope it doesn't happen, period. But, you know, uh, yeah, I thank you guys. Just service industry, you know, I, I know there's a lot of misinformation uh, being thrown about, like Hody said, about nobody wants to come to work, nobody wants any of those things. Uh, even with the development of apps like SnapShift, uh, which is big in Indianapolis, has, you know, that's something, it's basically an app where, you can hire someone for the day in the service industry. Mm. So a lot of people that are skilled that way are avoiding bad culture by essentially only being on call for different restaurants in the city with positions. That's interesting. So there are there's a lot in this industry that is changing. Um, you know, no one's brought up market saturation when it comes to fast food restaurants. There yeah. are three McDonald's within a mile and a half of me, and moving forward, maybe there will only be one. You know, um, it just. I think in the last four years, 75,000 new restaurants opened across the country. There's Mm -hmm. no way that all of them are viable and good businesses. Why would I want to
0: go to Applebee's when I could go to a local restaurant that has better quality food for like maybe 50 cents more?
3: And specifically in Indianapolis, I I know we talked about this in our last conversation. Chain restaurants don't do well in this town. We have, uh, you know, before the pandemic, we were well on our way to being a, a true hospitality city. And I think that's coming back. Uh, it might have migrated a little bit north to Hamilton County, which is uh, where a lot of the really solid restaurants. But, um, you know, it, it's just uh, it, a lot of people are are moving on and, and finding ways to either make money in this industry different ways or moving on to different careers or finding a good culture and staying there. And that's just uh, I think that's going to be a permanent part of the, our industry moving forward.
0: Yeah, I saw one fast food restaurant yesterday that was paying people every day like you get your paycheck at the end of your shift which i thought was really interesting so and you're starting to see these places offer benefits and it's going to make the this shortage is going to make it it's a wake-up call i think and it's gonna probably hopefully as long as the government doesn't get involved make it better for you service worker and uh, service well
3: thank you guys very much i appreciate it
0: thanks zach thanks so much for being here um harry we should start an app called snatch shift
1: <laughs> no. I what what are some know of your how thoughts? How buddy. Well, that it's going to do because, like, uh, <laughs> from I actually used to be in the service industry. I used to be a bartender um, oh. and a server. So, you know, back in college, so it was, um, it, it was always unfortunate, Especially like uh, when you would, you, you could, because the skills are, you know, transferable to a lot of different places. You just got to have to know where everything's at, know the menu. And you're almost good to go, which you just need a little bit of training with it. The one thing I'm what I wanted to touch on is the understanding is that people in the service industry are hustlers. They are hustlers. They will make a buck. They know how to make a buck. They know how to make money. So as the other thing, getting that skilled talent to come back, that's going to be rough, yeah. especially in like when it comes to uh, bartenders, because they're barely going to make any. Tip. They're making any tips, anyways, and they need the bars open and they need the volume because what they're making a dollar a, a, every drink that they do. So if no one's coming up to the bars making their drinks, they're barely going to get split, tipped out, basically from the uh, of the service for doing that. So they're going to go find something else. So not having these bars open, not having da- these things, these venues open, bartenders or people who do that for a living, they're going to go find something else. They're going to go do something else. There's so many different things are opening. Things I are mean, are remote. And they're also hustlers. They will go and find work. It's uh, that is. Let's see. Like well, the other thing I wanted to go with is in the when it also comes to a lot of these service workers, right? All right. All right. The uh, <clears throat> the other aspect of uh, service workers is that uh, not all of them are like you put aside, like have like the best paperwork, and that's usually <laughs> the ones that some want because it's like, well, I can treat them like crap, right? Well. After a few years of like uh, not being able to hire them, or being like, or just prohibited to hire them, or you can't get that type of worker, or they could find better work from uh, and more stable work because with you being closed, that hits them more. They can't get an appointment, so they're going to go. They a lot of them have moved on to warehouses and other manufacturing and doing other things, and they're not going back to you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it can be understated. So this happens after every pandemic. I mean, we, we lost an extra 500,000 Americans last year. I mean, that, that can't, I mean, I know whatever your beliefs on COVID are, that's a huge tragedy and a huge loss. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just all old people, I mean, it, that are retired and out of the workforce. We lost a lot of workers. And then you, you add on top of that, a COVID level amount of deaths to the opioid crisis over the last decade. And then mm-hmm. shutting down immigration for five years and not, you know, I mean, you're pushing, like, let's say at a hospital, you're pushing Indian and Chinese doctors out of the country to, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and so that's just letting people kind of rise up the ranks. And so population loss, population decline, um, especially rapid changes. Mm -hmm. allow for people to move up so part of the reason that the the after the black death in the 1300s there was a great depression a generation after is because so many people moved up so quickly and didn't it it killed feudalism because nobody wanted to be a serf anymore because they could go and work at jobs that gave them land and gave them wealth that there wasn't anybody left to do a lot of the jobs at the at the bottom of the 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 socioeconomic ladder or and starting positions or and then not for nothing we've taken away uh, teenage summer jobs made that too hard to hire teenagers to work we uh, we've also just I mean parents are different and don't let their kids work as much you've raised the here in Indiana you have to be almost 17 to get your driver's license instead of 15 and a half or 16 like when I was younger um, and so you've got less teens working, you've completely destroyed the internship programs, so there's less mm-hmm. college folks working. So there's, there's a myriad of reasons why you're starting to see these entry-level jobs like a McDonald's or a Taco Bell um, start to, to you know di- diminish their, their workforce and, uh, and why the jobs that are great in the service industry that Zach and Hody have worked at are staffed and functioning well. And it, it only incentivizes Hody, and then we'll we'll wrap up on this segment, and everybody can kind of weigh in on what they what they've been hanging on to that they didn't get to mention. Um, I mean, it just only incentivizes the Taco Bells and the McDonalds, and and the people hanging the sign that nobody wants to work anymore. It only incentivizes them to adapt or die.
2: Yeah, guilt is not much of a motivator for people who work in sales and. <laughs> Once again, servers are mostly sales-oriented people. Uh guilt's not much of a motivator. You know, you read about any rules of sales and usually while you can sometimes guilt somebody into it, you're going to be far more successful by by offering encouragement, by relating. What they say the first rule of sales is to find uh, to talk about what people are talking about, right? To to connect with them. And it shows a severe disconnect among people when you hang that sign up or you know, take the time to put the little letters up in your billboard that say, uh, you know, nobody wants to work for us anymore. Well, that's (laughs) that right there is why, you know, you'll take the time to do something passive aggressive like that, but you won't take the time to, know your employees you know to to understand what they're going through to understand their strengths and weaknesses i mean these are these are just flat failings that that are rampant in the service industry because they get these people who have saying oh i managed a target for 5 years yeah sure i'll i mean they even hang signs up do you want to own this wendys do you want to own a, a wendys call this number we'll probably hire you if you have any amount of management experience you know and you just get all these people who just have these complexes that want to take over and they want to guilt people, and that's no way to run a business. Is based on guilt and fear and anger, and and there's oh, way oh, too I much. Start doing there's some way too much. You mentioned you mentioned the paperwork. I I couldn't even count the number of times when I had said, "Oh, our dishwasher guy didn't show up." Okay, well, I'm going to call another dishwasher guy. I don't care if he's with his family, but if I'm going to I'm going to say on the phone, "If you don't show up, I'm calling ice. Mm. You're my bitch." Wow. Yeah, I mean, and this is, this is a, this is a, like I said, I lost track of the number of times it happened. This is common. This is normalized behavior. And yeah, it happens from the guests too. I think every, gosh, every week, at least every restaurant has some couple that comes in that says we want a non-Mexican or we want a woman or we want a, you know, we, we want somebody of this intersectionality. We don't want, you know, a man or we don't want, a mexican or we don't want a black person or you know something like that and and every restaurant zach mentioned it we've been used to saying the customer's always right and so if the customer complained something went wrong and so what we are right now the restaurant i mean this was before the pandemic but we're going through a crisis in the restaurant industry right now where we are legitimately torn between our corporate bosses who says make make all problems go away Mm -hmm. and our, our customer base, which says, I don't want you serving customers that make racist or sexist demands. And if we get caught, you know, on camera being like, oh, you don't want a black server? Sure, we got a white server for you. No problem. We're busted by the customers. But if we make a problem and that, even if the customer tells them they're racist, I had one customer uh, uh, who was a pedophile and said, I wanted to look at like gawk at these 14 year old girls and they said I was gross. And so they, you know, stuck me in some section with somebody who was overage. And so I'm leaving. I got in trouble from my regional manager for a complaint with that when I was managing on duty that day. Wow. And that and yeah, that was I, I mean, and these are just common things because they said if somebody complained, you made a mistake. If somebody complained, you made a mistake. And it's like, OK, so I am used to serving racists. I am used to serving pedophiles. It's and that giving common? them what they want.
0: Like what you're talking what? about. It's that common.
2: The the pedophile one was, uh, I, I have that example very specifically in mind because it's probably not as common, but I would say, I would say daily, I would say daily, and I, and this is between Applebee's, uh, Texas Roadhouse and Buffalo Wild Wings, because these are the ones that people like came in to eat when I managed and served at these places. But you probably daily had like at least three customers or three groups, three tables, reco- like want, want women. And you probably had like five or six that wanted to make sure they didn't get served by a Mexican Um, and they would call them Mexicans. Um, And that is, and that is probably, that is probably an average, I would say among all of them. And there were, there were some that did better than others, but I went and I opened stores in Dallas and Seattle. I regularly managed stores in Utah and Colorado. Like when I actually lived at those locations. And I would say that that was true in all those places.
0: All right, well, we're dangerously over time, so Harry Reinhold, if you want to get in here, say it quick, please. (laughs) Harry, go ahead.
1: Uh, One thing with the COVID thing is because you have some counties here in Indiana, some counties are open, some counties are closed. So I'm noticing myself, like, not wanting to go into Marion County to get food because, like, I can go up to Fishers and I have to wear my mask, you know? It's great. But if I want to go to my favorite restaurant, which is going into Triton or Porter Books and Bread in Lawrence, I've got to put my mask on. So, like. Where do I want to really want to go? Yeah,
0: I mean, the inanity, insanity of like wearing your mask to walk to your table and then taking it off and sitting there for an hour, it just makes no epidemiological sense. It's Everybody is being nice and polite about COVID, and it's finally coming to an end. Um, Reinhold, last thoughts.
4: Yeah, the last thing I want to say is uh, you hit the nail on the head, too, with trying to make sure government try doesn't try to fix it. Cause we have the opportunity right now to fix a lot of the culture in the service industry by punishing the people who are bad by making them go out of business. And if we spend government resources and tax money to try to keep those businesses going anyway, even though they're bad, that's, that's going to prevent that change in the service industry that I think people really want to see from happening because it's just going to give them cover the whole way all
0: right everybody uh great chatting about this i knew that there was more than just you know nobody wants to work anymore and so thank you to hody and zach and harry and reinhold and everybody for for giving us a little insight when we come back we're going to talk uh highlight some of what's going on in the news like liz cheney in the pipeline so stay tuned welcome back to the chris spangle show thank you for joining us and thank you for listening to ads we are adding ads to the program we are selling advertising for the first time we've got our first sponsor we're selling it across the whole network we're turning we are libertarians into a business the we are libertarians podcast network we have nine shows soon to be 10 11 Caleb Franz is going to be joining us doing the Profiles in Liberty show. He announced that yesterday. And uh, we're, we're great. And we've got one other podcaster that we are working on that will be a great addition to the network. And then we're selling ads across the network and piling that all back into ads. So, you know, what are you going to do without social media to market your show? That's what we're going to do. We're going to pile it back into ads on other podcasts and uh, let people know that. There's a sane alternative to the other two parties here in America, and there is a way to think differently. So if you could join our Patreon at joinwallplus.com or listen to those ads and support our advertisers, that really is going to help the network grow and help shows like this continue. And uh, if you don't want commercials, then join Wall Plus. And we'll take all those commercials, all those promos out. The other way is you're going to hear a lot of promos for all the other shows on this podcast and the other podcasts. And and that is a way to network us all together and promote each other's shows and and you know help give those shows some uh, lift now that we can't really market too much on social media. Like if I post an episode of a podcast to our Facebook page of 100,000 people, it gets 250 impressions. So we are completely like throttled like we were shadow banned on twitter like their social media is just a no-go so we're, we're figuring out new ways to do it i know if you're a long-time listener you've heard me say i don't want to do ads i don't really have a choice anymore i've got to pay for this i've got to feed my family i've got to grow the network and uh yeah so you're going to hear cross promotion love for you to please go support those other shows you know even if you don't listen to them just download them for us please that's going to help us um that's a great promo uh all right so listen but do listen yes um i don't know why you'd want to listen to gingerarchy but i'm just kidding just kidding listen trish is the one that can take a joke um if i said Remzo, he'd cry i know it uh so uh we're we're also changing up the show here a little bit so we're gonna do a a bigger block in the front on a main subject and then add on a couple news stories just to kind of help you get caught up there's too many cycles and i want to cover a lot and i want to help you understand what's going on with the news but i can't do more than one episode a week and that leaves a lot of subjects uncovered that i want to talk about and so we're gonna just like do like a little speed round Speedy for us here at the end and and talk uh, about a couple news stories. The first up is Liz Cheney, and here's what's happened. So Liz Cheney, the representative of Wyoming, daughter of uh, Dick Cheney, was ousted from her role as the number three Republican in the House of Representatives. This is an article from Business Insider. Uh, She refused to pull back of her criticism of Donald Trump and uh, his lies around the last election. Joe Biden won the election. Donald Trump lost the election. Everything he's saying about the election is a complete lie. Uh, that is not the Business Insider saying that. That is me saying that. That is uh, just the truth. And if you've bought into propaganda, then that's on you. Um, so the GOP representatives voted to strip her of her role as chair of the House Republican Conference, and they've replaced her with Elise Stefanik from New York. Now, according to 538, here's the funny thing about all this. Cheney voted in line with Trump's positions 93% of the time. Stefanik only voted in line with Trump 78% of the time. And Stefanik's votes countered the president on issues that include the National Defense Authorization Act, the U.S. Postal Service funding, disaster aid to Puerto Rico, and the EPA chemical regulations. Cheney voted with Trump much more frequently, mostly departing on election issues such as the National Defense Authorization Act and withdrawing troops from Syria, shocker, amongst uh, amongst others stefanik who was once considered a more moderate in the house even spoke out against trump's rhetoric and policy positions in 2015 and 2016 criticizing his comments on women and muslims so here's the funny thing about all of this the republicans and they just voted for uh stefanik over chip roy as conference chair the number three position in the caucus the republican house caucus Chip Roy is like, um, Chip Roy's a lot closer to like a Thomas Massey or a Rand Paul than Stefanik is, who is much more of a moderate New York Republican. But they all have gone with Stefanik because Stefanik is, these people have said for the last year, it's not about Donald Trump's tweets, it's not about what he says. It's about the policies and how he votes and what has been passed. Now, it's not about how Liz Cheney votes. It's about what she tweets. So it's we're going to go with the rhino Republican over Chip Roy and Liz Cheney. Now, listen. Liz Cheney's a dirtbag. Okay. Liz Cheney is the son of Dick Cheney. Liz Cheney worked in the State Department in Middle East affairs her whole career. She is one of the architects of all of the horrible foreign policy. She is the, the quintessential representative of the old Republican Party that we hated. And as libertarians, we have zero love for Liz Cheney whatsoever. Okay. It's not about defending Liz Cheney. This story is interesting because, Reinhold, this is the complete embrace not of policy, not of fact or truth. It is the Republican conference saying, we don't know how to tell our people the truth anymore, so we're going to lie to them. Stefanik is good at lying better than Lynn Cheney is. (laughs) And so we need to pick the better liar who has bad policies because of her
4: fealty to Donald Trump. Right, and it's 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 all about the fealty right so they've got it in their head that they need to be trump trained maga all the way in order to stay alive as a political party uh there are i've been watching certain panels and things like that where there were the internal politics of the gqp G- um <laughs> yeah. is is it's trying very, to determine you, who you're they be. you're very proud of yourself leader. aren't you <laughs> <laughs> They, look at you! You're, look really at how, having, how hard he's this, laughing, Hody. <laughs> they're really having this argument, though, about who they should be kicking out of the party and who they should be ostracizing. Who's not real Republican or real Trumpist? So, anybody who's on the fringes are are getting who who you know. For years, they were trying to bring in all these different uh, disaffected conservative people, like um, the log cabin Republicans, that sort of thing. They, that were you know, um not necessarily the hardcore evangelical um uh, societal conservatives or social conservatives. So they're they're starting to try and, and think that the best way to move forward is to um push those people out of the party. Um and and there's a big fight going on internally inside the inside the Republican Party now well, in yeah, that regard. I, I, guess my point. I love watching it because I want to see it happen. I want to see them collapse and do exactly what they're doing and, and just watch them become a uh, non-factor anymore. I, I guess, I mean, listen, I didn't like the old Republican
0: Party, and I don't like this Republican Party. I don't like the lies that Lynn Cheney told. Even though she's telling the truth about Donald Trump and the election, I like that. But her lies led to the Iraq War. Why would I want to replace the lying GOP with another lying GOP that – and make no mistake, like the lies about the election can have, potentially have the same in terms of American political norms, American life, and American government, the same corrosive and destructive effects that the Iraq war had. The lies around the election. What happens if you have a deep red state and a Democrat gets elected attorney general? And they just won't certify that person as the the victor. It, it sort of becomes a Bush Cheney two thousand situation, but on a mass scale. Like once you've just completely destroyed the fabric and the stability. Wh- I mean, Harry and I know that there's anarchists listening, Hody and Harry, like yourselves, who are going, "Well, who cares? Like what? What? Who cares if the fabric of American government starts to rot? Isn't that what we want?" I mean, are you guys collapsitarians like that? You want to just let's we're accelerationists. Let's just destroy everything as soon as possible, and that's uh, why Donald Trump's uh, myths about the the election are a good thing.
1: It used to be like that whole collapsitarian thing, and until you get older or read more, and learn more, and you start realizing, like, I like anarchy. A lot of y'all ain't ready for that. <laughs> right like we're like i'm
0: sorry but the people that are vaccinated wearing masks outside who are that like they're going to just pick libertarianism
1: oh yeah 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 i i talked to someone who's vaccinated it sits, sits at my table on friday with the goggles on and masks still i'm like come on but right it's also the other people that don't put their shopping carts back you know like come on i put my shopping cart back at the grocery store all right like, now hold a minute hold on dog. a minute i'm a job creator fuck you not job creation you're you no know, no i'm sorry i'm sorry can't do that you'll, you'll be against the wall right before the anarchy starts anyway so um <laughs> I, I don't want to defend the cheney <laughs> i i know
0: that's what like listen here's the problem all of these people who have horrible policy ideas are right about donald trump and he's right about them it's just like I don't want to defend a Cheney and I'm not defending a Cheney. I'm just saying okay. like what what's next isn't better than Lynn Cheney or Liz Cheney or whatever her name is. Like exactly. But
1: the, <laughs> a lot of that erosion is already happening and some people yeah. are noticing it too, especially in some of the, like the deeper red states where they have like these You know, deep red states, but they'll have like a Republican, they'll have a Democrat AG or a Democrat governor is because they're realizing they can take these outside money, go into these other areas, and then just pick one race, just the important races and do that. They're already circumventing and doing things like that. That's the reason why you see a lot of that. Um, So that's, you know, like, I think. You know, that's why I always get people want to talk about we need to get the money out of politics. It's like, OK, but before we get the money out of politics, let's just make it so you can only donate money in the areas that you live in and the elections you can actually vote in. That's that's one thing. But yeah, that's yeah. that's why. Yeah, I think a lot of that erosion is already happening. And then the people who can actually fix it don't want to fix it.
0: <laughs> Hody, are you a collapsitarian?
2: Uh, no, uh, collapse is ugly and a lot of people get hurt. And I would love I would here, here's what I am. I want the government to just voluntarily surrender their power and give it to me nicely. Uh, <laughs> that's probably not going to happen, but uh, they can discredit themselves and do all kinds of things. You know, I, I think it's on us to perceive of different ways besides collapse that anarchy can happen because we kind of only have collapse as far as history is concerned. Um, and so, it's you know, we need to visualize other ways. Um, I do want to say this. uh I want the government, and I know this is going to sound crazy, so buckle up, but I want the government to function well. I do want them to do the right thing. I want them to be able to take tax money and spend it wisely. I want them to... um, Great example. The USSR uh, actually did have more food than the USA. The problem was they just lacked the incentive to give it out, and so they starved a whole bunch of million. Millions and millions of people to death. Um, And that's kind of similar to this situation. It's the government could function. The USSR could have fed their people better, but they didn't. And that's just kind of a government thing. And so the thing about collapsitarianism is I want them to, I I am rooting in my heart. I know this sounds crazy as an anarchist, but I really am deep down in my heart rooting for them to do the right thing. I was still very happy when the, when, you know, Biden decided to keep the dreamers here, you know, and, and there are things like that where I can say, oh, you know, when, when Trump cut my local restaurant's tax rate from 38% to 21%. Okay. You know, like I can accept that sometimes a good thing happens. It is absolutely overwhelmed by the bad things. But, you know, I, do I want them to actually use our social safety net to actually give people social safety? Of course. I don't hate social safety. I want people to have those things. I, the government just does a bad job with it. They're going to do a bad job with this. We're talking about the Cheney's, like you said, this is Democrats and Cheney's and then Republican on Republican violence. It's that meme. Let them fight Godzilla King Kong. Just let them. Yeah, I mean, if you
0: if you were looking at the last year and thinking that the government can protect you and fix big pro- – like, listen, America had one shot at avoiding 500,000 deaths, and it was getting testing right, and it was the CDC getting that right. And they didn't do it. They couldn't have done it, and Hillary Clinton couldn't have done it. Donald Trump couldn't do it it's because it's not possible for a government bureaucracy to act in the swiftness that it was necessary to avoid what happened, right? Like maybe you, there was never going to be contract tracing like Taiwan. That just, it's not, our society is not built that way. You know, so Donald Trump's like biggest mistake was making the pandemic a culture war. And his second biggest mistake, which I kind of forgive him on because he wasn't, no president could have gotten the cdc to get testing right like it's just the nature as long as the bureaucracy exists the monopoly exists it's it was never going to be done correctly and we were never really going to have a different outcome so therefore all of the lockdown stuff that we've talked about like in the last episode it didn't work it was all about your voluntary behavior your choices in protecting you your family and your neighbors mm-hmm. just like we always said from the very beginning like it and government action as we talked about in the last segment has just made the misery higher and the recovery harder and the inflation that is happening now. Gee, what a surprise when you artificially deflate supply in labor and goods by closing down mills, for instance, for four months that create lumber and then artificially inflate demand by giving $12 trillion worth of money in the economy. Inflation happened. Well how'd this happen? I, I it's so galling to read these articles about this is surprise inflation. We're surprised at how much inflation there like really? Like lumber of course lumber's up two hundred and fifty percent. uh
1: so you were letting people go out and loan out houses and like get these loans for these massive houses so they could spend more because you had interest rates to go near right like when i bought my house or like you bought something pre-built i was like like, yeah it was pre-built it was because it was incredibly cheap at that time but you know it's like sorry i didn't want to go like you know buy this massive house and get it built brand new it's just Go, yeah, but good luck. And then that's the other thing of the area where these mills are at, where they could go out and supposedly could do it. It's like the COVID levels are really low, you know. And if you have any discussion about this, like, just look at what Florida. Florida has been, what, almost maskless technically since, what, last year, actually. And like, it was like November. They just said, screw this. Doing
0: half this. of this country has lived like the pandemic isn't happening. And the other half of the country doesn't look at that and take any lessons from it and, and that's as annoying as the people who pretended COVID wasn't real and learn no lessons from the other side it, it, it's just i don't know it, it feels crazy being in the middle every time i feel like i'm like on one side or the other i see something from that side and i'm just like i hate you both you're both insane um, i shook a, I shook a, a hand of a stranger
4: last weekend yeah. ooh, uh, reinhold go ahead it's almost like politicizing healthcare is a bad idea for some reason.
0: Yeah, I know. Ugh, it's just I, don't, a, I don't get weird. it. Uh, writes, Spangle, let's be honest. You need to take the cart back and get your steps in. Yeah, but at least I have the courage to ask a girl out. All right, let's move on to the next story. Uh it is the colonial pipeline shutdown Uh, there was a cyber attack that forced a shutdown of a top u.s pipeline one of the nation's largest pipelines which carries refined gasoline and jet fuel from texas up the east coast to new york was forced to shut down after being hit by ransomware in a vivid demonstration of the vulnerability of energy infrastructure to cyber attacks this is from the new york times and their original story cyber attack forces a shutdown of a top u.s pipeline now Colonial Pipeline said in a vaguely worded statement late Friday, it had shut down 5,500 miles of pipeline, which carries 45% of the East Coast fuel supplies in an effort to contain the breach. Now, this ransomware attack is the second known such incident aimed at a pipeline. Uh, last year, um, there was a mm-hmm. ransomware attack at an unknown facility. Uh, the cybersecurity experts say the rise of automated attack tools and payment of ransom and cryptocurrencies, which make it harder to trace perpetrators, have exacerbated such attacks. Ulf Lindquist, a director at SRI International, specializes in threats to industrial systems, says we've seen ransomware start hitting soft targets like hospitals and municipalities where losing access has real world consequences and makes victims more likely to pay. We're talking about risk, the risk of injury or death, not just losing your email. Now, the group that is behind this attack, again, from The New York Times, um, is known as Darkside, which the FBI formally blamed for a huge ransomware attack that has disrupted the flow of nearly half of the gas gasoline on the East Coast, we said. Um, It was simply an act of extortion. And these guys actually put out a statement saying, "Our bad. We didn't realize that was going to happen. We'll do better to not like shut down uh, society next time. We'll just we, we just wanted some money. We're not out for malicious intent. We just wanted to 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 hold them ransom and get, and get some Bitcoin." Um, now they operate from Eastern Europe, possibly Russia. There's some evidence, even in the group's own statements on Monday, that suggested the group had intended to simply extort money. Though and not attached to, think of them like pirates. So the reason St. Augustine, Florida, was so incredibly important to the Spanish is because it was right at the mouth of the um the the big uh, uh, what's the water flow that takes you right up to Britain? I can't think of it. The Gulf Stream, and so they needed that fort right there to uh, protect them, uh, you know, their ships from in, from pirates, basically. And the pirates were paid for by France and England, and so essentially you you have like um you know this group operates in eastern europe or russia they and they don't attack places in eastern europe like georgia or um some of those uh, ukraine belarus um and they see themselves as robin hood and they're really just kind of pirates and they're not funded by these foreign governments. They're just not held accountable by foreign governments like pirates because Russia loves that a pipeline because the the whole like you've seen it on your Facebook page. Like, let's be honest, Joe Biden has been president for four months and he's been a terrible president. It, it, four months is not enough time to fuck everything up as badly as your uncle on Facebook says like some of that is because we had a completely incompetent president who didn't know how to manage the government for the last five years. So it's sort of a hilarious cell phone to blame Joe Biden for every single thing that bad thing that's happened. When we heard from them for years, it was not Donald Trump's fault. It was Barack Obama's fault. He's just fixing the mess. Okay, well, now let's just apply the same argument to you. And so the, uh, the gas price thing... You know, it's it's Joe Biden's fault. It's Joe Biden's fault, as if it's Joe Biden's fault. Um, and they, they love that gas prices are going up. I saw local talk show hosts going, this attack is because of Joe Biden. What? No, this is an attack by pirates basically trying to get rich and accidentally went too hard in the paint, Harry, and <laughs> shut something down. But you know, there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, this is a this is a digital 9/11. This is the warning shot that that at some point, Harry, our entire infrastructure will be shut down in a massive cyber attack by a state. That these pirates are the this is the coal bombing." And we need to start really focusing on infrastructure. And by the way, the reason that daycare is infrastructure in the infrastructure bill is because Democrats know that their people are going to love free daycare in an infrastructure bill. And the Republicans are going to hate free daycare in an infrastructure bill. And it causes a big fight and it causes a big back and forth and it galvanizes the Democrat side and and polarizes the country more because everybody agrees that maybe we should increase security around nodes at AT AT&T. Or maybe we should amp up, you know, everybody in Congress, I should say, says that we should, you know, strengthen our infrastructure and security around pipelines. Right. But they're never going to do something that they agree on because that's bad for fundraising. Conflict is good for fundraising. You can fundraise off of free daycare. You can't fundraise off of securing a pipeline. Um, So, you know, when Joe Biden tweets out the rules are clear, get a vaccine or wear a mask, he wants you to retweet that. He wants you to get mad at him. He's doing the same poking and provocative trolling that Donald Trump did. So don't give into it, don't give it attention, just walk away from it, live your life stress free, and don't buy into propagandists propagandizing. Harry, was this a 9-11 attack? Was this like a precursor to the big one? How no. big of how worried should we be about about, about ransomware?
1: Honestly, you should actually be a little bit more worried about it. And it's not really ransomware you should be worried about. It's these people paying things out. So, this has been all right. So, let me, there's a lot to unpack here on this whole thing. First off, just because certain cryptocurrencies are anonymous, they may be anonymous to you because you don't have the skill to check, to, check the uh, budget to find out who the, the, the coins went to. But hey, that's what happens if you don't know this, you don't have the skills to pay the bills, you can't figure that crap out. But dollars have been paying to hijackers, stuff like that, just hard currency, gone off the wind, is anonymous. And once those things get washed, it's gone out there in the first place. But anyways, what I wanted to get to is the reason why a lot of these hackers or ransomware uh, has, this has gone, they become big business and they had become big businesses because a lot of the ransomwares were starting to go off and go after people. A lot of the time, like a lot of people weren't paying because they were going after companies and companies weren't paying because either had backups and, and, or, and they just like, you know what, screw it. We don't need the data. We'll just rebuild. It is up until like, I think it was like 2018, 2019 when it got big because it, they started to go after municipalities and cities Uh, with the ransomware attacks and they were starting to pay out by their insurance packages yes their cyber insurance packages started to pay out a lot of these ransoms because like oh it's cheaper just pay the deductible they get paid we get our data back we're back up and running so they got more money so this turned into a business so the idea is not to completely disrupt just to get enough to get that insurance payout and then go on and go after these machines And they're able to do a lot of these things because the new crop of IT professional people working into the information technology space has gone into this area of cloud-first or cloud-only infrastructure, which, don't get me wrong, cloud infrastructure is pretty neat. Software as a service is pretty neat. But the issue is with it is that people, when they put things up, there, they're like, well, I don't have to pay for this infrastructure at a warehouse or somewhere. What the thing is when they put in that infrastructure idea is then I don't need a network administrator. I don't need a systems administrator. I don't need them. I've got DevOps and other people to do that up there in the cloud. But the thing is, a lot of those DevOps people, they're not security. They're not systems people. They're not network people. They don't understand a lot of these things to protect a lot of your data up there. And this has been going on for so long.
0: Because essentially what happened is this company, the Colonial Pipeline folks, didn't. They had their data encrypted, but they didn't back it up. And so when they needed restore back, they didn't have the backups and they couldn't unencrypt the data. And so they just kind of had to patchwork everything together to get and literally had people like oil never stopped flowing. It just wasn't like it was going from one tube, wall it off, push a button, goes to the next tube, push a button. Like it was very labor intensive.
1: Correct. A lot of the automation was encrypted. A lot of the things that was telling it where it should go. A lot of those scripts. That's was automated. But that's what. It, but what a ransomware attack does is it's very. Some of some of it's very simple, and some of the this is built on the simple idea that they get into your um, get into the machine and they encrypt it and they just encrypt the data on it. Sometimes they use the things that are just built inside of the, the the operating system, like just WinZip. They just turn WinZip on. Lock it with the security key, lock it up, and lock you out. Um, it's you know that's just how it works. So the, I think a lot of the brash of the Qnap ones was all on that whole idea that we're just going to use the WinZip that's built inside your Qnap, encrypt your data, and you know, like boom, haha, we've got you now. It's a lot of it. It comes to bring it home, one, Harry. Bring it home. <laughs> And a lot of the is which a lot of people have to understand is the 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 world that we are also living into the rapid like rapid updates the we also got to keep going and like the ideas like the trying to get rid of the idea of like, well, IT departments are slow. They do all these processes. Well, that slow code gets poked at, make sure it gets patched, make sure it's good for going for market. And that hasn't really happened in this, in this Silicon Valley space because growth gets you numbers, growth gets you investments, growth lets you get to IPO, but that isn't stable. The and the bill has come due with the fallout of your data, and things are getting going to get hacked even worse the i o t revolution that is supposed to happen, so you've got all these devices out there you, and there are people with feeling of botnets well, those things go back to things and get and those things get ransomware Garmin just happened, suffered from that last year, they shut down everything even their factory from this ransomware attack
0: i just heard that we should be really worried that this was nine eleven what
4: about what did you guys hear
1: <laughs> well
4: I just to let you know the this isn't a new thing. This isn't like, you know, 9-11 has been happening for eight years at least now. So the first <laughs> ransomware attacks were, you know, years and years and years ago. Uh, Mr. Robot was a ransomware attack if you watch that
2: show.
0: So you're um, telling me that the news media is scaring me and
4: over-inflating the importance of a story to get me to worry. To get you to click on links and, and watch their content yeah someone should investigate what's this. Yeah. i know this is a conspiracy theory right? right but they might be doing but the thing is is that one thing that has happened out of this is that every time there's a big news media uh, report about this it departments freak out and they start okay what we don't want this to happen to us right so there's there's projects that i'm on right now that have gotten kind of pushed a little bit because the it departments are now focused on uh, we need to make sure our ransomware stuff's up to date. We need to spend a couple of weeks locking everything down, making sure that we haven't missed anything. And that's always been the problem with um, IT departments and development because development, people are trying to develop fast, as, as Harry's saying. They're developing fast and security is always at the last end of the, of the thought process on developing applications and developing systems. Um, security now has been talking about this for 20 years, you know, Um and and because of that sometimes the IT industry needs a little kick in the pants with a big news story like this to get them to realize they need to take to do this i mean there's there's been clients that i've had that uh, hadn't taken it seriously because they're like well we don't want to spend the money on it it's, it's it's silly to do and then they got hit with an attack shut down their whole business and it was a medical business so they weren't able to do surgeries and things like that right For Mm -hmm. at all, they weren't able to even actually perform because they had digitized everything. So they had to shut down for like a weekend and we had to go in there and fix it um, and get everything back online so that they could function. And then they're like, "Okay, so now we have this million dollar hit on our insurance. Maybe we should start putting in processes (laughs) to help prevent this from happening again. Mm -hmm. Right. So people sometimes need to be hit in the head pretty hard to get them to wake up to do the things they need to do consequences
0: have been a big part of this show over the last year i mean people people, we want to absolve people of the consequences of their bad decisions and it's it's a necessary like when you are younger in your career hody you need to go home feeling like crap about your performance that day to get better
2: Yeah, uh, there I'm I'm glad you bring that up because people are eager to dismiss this entirely onto just tech problems, and they make it really scary. And what happens is when you finally boil it down to the very beginning, Chris, you'll remember this story well, I remember us talking about it. How did the DNC get hacked? Well, ultimately, at the very beginning, because they make it sound scary. Oh, these Russian networks, and they were bouncing off of servers, and they had a whole hub located in a secret underground place, and and, and all that stuff is true, but... How did it get hacked? How did it start? Oh, they said, "Oh, hey, what's your password?" <laughs> and some idiot responded, right? And this is no different, right? Like they they freak you out with all these different things they do, and they're like hit with a ransomware attack, and they 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 what they did is they downloaded all the stuff, and when you say, "Well, how did they get access?" Oh, well, somebody asked for a password and they gave it out, and right. so they want to take like like you mentioned, Chris. They're trying to skirt the human error part of this yeah. They, by making it sound like it's a whole bunch of, oh, these evil people are just really good at tech. No, you're really an idiot with giving away your password to, to emails you don't recognize. Yeah, and, and, they're, they're, and
0: they're trying Stop to it. turn it into a federal case, and Joe Biden needs yeah. to do more, and we need more power at the NSA, and we need this and that. And it's just everything is an excuse to continue no. to – got to get rid of Bitcoin because it's bad for the environment. I saw like five stories this week. So you know everything's an excuse to to consolidate
4: and centralize power it's really just a case that we need better we need more companies doing pen testing mm-hmm. um, protecting themselves. Also, you mentioned something about pirates right so there there are more pirates now than there were back in the pirate days right, right? if you, If you go look at it, so that's just on the sea pirates there There's just a whole lawless area going on in in, in the subcultures of the dark web and everything else that these people are operating in. Um, that if you're not care, if you're not protecting yourself, what are you doing? This is, this is your livelihood. This is your business. You need yep. to protect yourselves. Wicked can uh, precautions.
0: Yeah. Wicked kinder writes ransomware is just commonplace in it at this point. And, and like everybody knows that the China in the beginning, it was like, how do we keep the Chinese out of our networks now? in cybersecurity it's we know the chinese are in networks how can we keep them from stealing too much and you know russia is you know when russia planted uh bugs in our electric grid america very openly and publicly planted trigger switches in their networks and so it becomes a game of mutually assured destruction uh harry final thought on this before we move on to israel and palestine
1: Oh, yeah. It, it's just more of a, a lot of the, the issues can be solved just by listening to, to the professionals. So, like, when you describe to someone like, hey, we should do a backup this way. do like, like, uh, like, there's a lot of companies that still use physical tape backups as media. Trust me, it is uh, physical tape. You will start noticing very quickly, especially if you have a sysadmin looking at the, the little tape backup cassette machine mover. If things are starting to move, do you encrypt things really quickly? Because that cassette should move that fast. So mm. it's, yeah, I've seen companies that wanted to go back to the old cassette recorder or just have a Blu-ray disc burner and get the thing offline to read only. Um, the other thing when it comes to it is a lot of people don't want to listen to those professionals when we talk about backups and password policies and doing like that to keep these things out and also say like, hey, sometimes someone shouldn't have access, you know, or, you know, you know, we should have this type of management structure in place so not everyone can get in, but that's that cool that's that flashy that's you know and a lot of these IT departments especially the larger companies they've a lot of people who created which is I'm noticing a lot is a lot of people who created the cool things and a lot of these larger companies have moved on and gone retired have done everything and the people in those IT shops now are IT workers that are just maintaining they have absolutely no idea how any of that stuff works they have this amazing title But they have no idea how any of that works, and they're just maintaining their skills of atrophy because they're not allowed to build or develop or grow anything. They're just maintaining the ship.
0: Wicked says 90% of companies pay the ransom disaster plans, recovery plans, backups, backups, backups. IT is not a cost center. It is a business enabler. So let's move on to Israel and Palestine and talk a little bit about what's going on there today. The latest from Antiwar.com. Early Saturday morning, Israeli airstrikes target a residential building in the Al-Shidi refugee refugee camp. That's right. Israel's bombing a refugee camp, according to – and that's because Hamas – positions themselves in there according to the latest reports the bombing killed at least eight people two women and six children the airstrike wounded at least 20 other people and the death toll could rise as rescue teams are searching the rubble of the three-story house where several families lived a local resident said the israelis dropped three bombs on the house without warning giving residents no chance to leave I saw the bodies of four people, including children, being rushed to the hospital, said said, said Al Ghul, according to the AP. I could not endure and run back to my home. Saturday marks the sixth day of airstrikes in Gaza. The Israelis rejected a ceasefire proposal from Hamas on Wednesday night and seemed to have no interest in de-escalating. Netanyahu said on Friday that the campaign is not over yet. Netanyahu is the Israeli prime minister. As of early Saturday in Gaza, 137 Palestinians, including 36 children, have been killed and 920 have been wounded since Israel started bombing the besieged enclave on Monday. The U.N. said at least 10,000 Palestinians have been forced to flee their home due to the onslaught. Now, where did this begin? We go to The New York Times. Violence between the Israelis and Palestinians expanded in new directions on Friday with deadly clashes convulsing the convulsing the occupied West Bank and anti-Israeli protests erupting along Israel's border with the two Arab neighbors. Now the West Bank is up in like the upper right like the main or Massachusetts of Israel and then the Gaza is sort of down towards Egypt. Um, By Friday evening, Israel faced furious demonstrations in at least 60 places across the West Bank and new protests just across the borders with Jordan and Lebanon, all atop the vigilante violence between Arabs and Jews within Israel and the continuing battle with Gaza militants. The Israeli military claimed to have significantly weakened Hamas in its latest offensive by killing dozens of high-ranking commanders and damaging the militants group's network of tunnels under Gaza. It was unclear if such losses prompted a Hamas spokesperson, Fawazi Barum, said to Al Jazeera on Friday night that the, the group would consider negotiating a calming in the fighting if Israel complied with unspecified demands about lifting its hand from Gaza and the cities in Jerusalem. Um, Israel said they're open to ceasefire talks as Gazans waited to hear what might come next. Their misery was deepening. Power was down to five hours a day in some places and water came out of the pipes only once every few hours. Efforts to contain what had been a worsening coronavirus infection crisis in Gaza all but collapsed. Mob violence that killed and wounded dozens of people across Israel over the past few days, apartments and synagogues burned, stones thrown, Jewish vigilantes clashing with Arab rioters, has profoundly shaken the country, and it has resurfaced painful questions about whether years of victories for the Israeli far right have crippled any chance of peaceful if, as some Arabs would argue, not necessarily equal coexistence. About 800 people have been arrested across Israel over the past week, about 80% of them Arabs. A Jewish woman told Khan Radio that the Israeli public broadcaster that a group of Arab Israelis hurled a homemade bomb at her, two friends, and her baby in the mixed city of Lod, midway between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, though they missed. Um, A war room of Jewish volunteers, some armed, formed in Lod a day after fiery street clashes broke out there further destabilizing one of the few remaining places in Israel where Arabs and Jews share not only the neighborhoods, but buildings. On Friday night, clashes broke out in law between Arabs and Israeli police at a mosque. In cities and villages across the West Bank, an accumulation of perceived injustices by Israel in recent weeks, the possible expulsion of families from the East Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, airstrikes on Gaza and police raids on the Aks, Aqsa Mosque compound in Jerusalem, that is located on the Old Temple Mount and right by the Dome of the Rock. So it is in one of the holiest parts of the of Jerusalem. The, it is also the third holiest site in Islam. Led to an avalanche of protest on Friday. Now, the, in this particular mosque on the on the grounds of the Old Temple Mount, you have the Dome of the Rock, the the, the gold. You've seen like the square building, the square Muslim mosque with the gold dome on the top. And then just down right next to that is the Wailing Wall where Jews pray. That is the only part of this particular area of, of a holy site that Jews are allowed to pray. There, It is managed by a an order backed by the Jordanian government. And so there was a, a ceasefire negotiated basically for this a, a neutral agreement and Jews will only pray at the Wailing Wall and nowhere else. And there are groups in Israel that are pushing for the right to pray anywhere in that compound of holy sites that they want. And obviously the Muslims don't want that. It is their holy site, and they don't want, you know, it's just a recipe for disaster. And so there's tension around this particular mosque. And what it means by the expulsion of families from East Jerusalem in the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, so you know Israel negotiated a settlement where they they basically turn Gaza and the West Bank into independent states. Specifically, Gaza that was rejected in the nineties uh, by a vote, and so Israel has slowly over time built walls around Israel and has walled off parts of, if not all of, Gaza and the West Bank, which has led to Um, a ton of misery in those areas and then there is uh also settlements so they are moving in uh israeli courts deem that a piece of property belongs to a jewish family but it is inhabited by palestinian families and those palestinian families are removed this happened in gaza when gaza was was changed right jewish families were extracted and moved out Um, so this entire area between both sides, they're, they're fighting for land and little homes and pulling people out of these homes. And, uh, it leads to tension. Um, so now some of these, they're, 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 um, using live rounds. They're, you know, using skunk water to push protesters off, um, You know, you have people in the streets on both sides of this issue. Uh, Now, when Palestinians moved to confront the settlers, they said seven Israeli soldiers staffing the checkpoint at the entrance to the village started spraying tear gas and shooting live ammunition. They were later joined by backup, the residents said, and clashes continued Friday night. Before the current crisis, Gazans already lived in what one United Nations human rights official called a toxic slum. A jagged strip of land blockaded indefinitely by Israel and Egypt where roughly 2 million residents endured daily power outages up to 16 hours and had running water only every other day. Now they're down to about 5 hours of electricity per day and half their usual water supply, according to an Israeli security official. The official speaking on the condition of anonymity because of briefing rules said the shortages were partly because Israel had closed the border crossing through which most of Gaza's fuel arrives, but also because Hamas rockets had damaged power lines that could not be in independently confirmed. The official said the power lines to two Gaza sewage treatment plants were damaged or down. And the UN's humanitarian aid coordination agency said a water desalination plant was not operational, cutting 250,000 residents off from water. About 150,000 people in Gaza city had limited access to water because of the power cuts were affecting the pipe supply. The lack of power is starting to affect hospitals, which are already full because of the pandemic. So you have the Israelis building a wall around Gaza, turning it into a ghetto and then treating it like it's a siege, cutting off power, cutting off water, cutting off sewer, cutting off desalination plants. I mean, Reinhold, it is, uh, you know let's take a balance, let me take a balanced view here right so if you were if you were israeli you say iran is funding hamas and they're shooting rockets into our towns killing old women on buses killing our women and children we have every right to defend ourselves the palestinians say you're colonizers who have just decided that you're going to take our land and we have every right to fight
4: back what say you What's the I. I say that, first of all, the argument that um, Israel is defending itself because the the initiation of violence from the Palestinians is interesting. When you notice the death toll, when you compare the two, that's it's like. What was it 10 times as many people they kill 10 times as many people as the Palestinians do. Right. I mean. If there was only something we could compare this to, um, like if there was a another country where foreign people came in and kind of just started taking over and little by little were pushing the native people who live there out of the better places to live and sticking them on little little areas that they were being um limited in their ability to do you know to live on right like maybe we call them reservations right if if we could just see what would happen uh, if that continues to its full extent um, you know maybe we would have something to compare this to but um, this really my opinion just we have to understand how much the western society has dictated what's going on in Israel. So we can sit there and say, oh yeah, the Arabs and the Israelis aren't getting along. And it's just, it's a shame that this is happening, but we created it. you right. I mean, from the treaty of Versailles, all the way through world war two to the establishment of Israel this has all been done to these people. Well, starting with the Balfour, deca- I
0: mean, starting with the Balfour deca- Declaration yeah. in World War One, and Sykes-Picot, and the the reshaping of the Ottoman Empire after World War One, um, to Harry Truman, you know, setting up the State of Israel, and a lot of the reason that the State of Israel was set up is because European countries and the United States did not want Jewish refugees coming in. They didn't want to go back to Poland, obviously. I mean, and so there, a lot of these Western countries wouldn't allow access to their nation because they were anti-Semitic. Their leadership was anti-Semitic, and so the they, they created was, the state it's, it's of Israel, yeah. huh?
4: Mm-hmm. You
3: know,
4: we were the United States was just guilty. We were turning back refugee ships in World War II uh, from from Jewish people fleeing Germany at the time, right? So, um, this this is not. You know something that you can just go back and say, okay, starting with the sixty-seven war and all this, you know, this has been generations in the making, and it's not necessarily the Israelis or the Palestinians' fault. It's it's what we've done to those people. Uh, just in our hubris, I think that we had the right to go in and tell uh, another part of the of the world how they should function, how their borders should look, uh, and then just. Washing our hands of it and trying to walk away from the whole situation.
0: Hody, it really is a great example of interventionism and imperialism, you know, 100 years ago having long lasting consequences for the people on the ground who are just trying to live their lives and and have, uh, you know, just want security, stability, water, sewage. You know, on both sides here, really, I mean, there is no doubt that there is an imbalance in the quality of life between Israelis and Palestinians. I mean, there's just cannot be argued and it is inexcusable. Um, I mean, but it's a, it's a great example of how interventionism has long lasting consequences for the average person.
2: Yeah, it's um, the problem with intervention is it makes you look to somebody else for authority. And I'm not even going to talk about in the government sense. I'm talking about in the religious sense. Um, They've given their so many on both sides have given their religious authority and agency over to a certain leader. And as opposed to it being personal, they say, well, if my faith says to do this because you say my faith says to do this and this is what it is, um, this is it's become an increasing problem. And it's funny because it wasn't a problem for such a long time when islam was you know islam was a religion of peace for a long time you know judaism was a religion of peace for a long time and we just say well what happened and what happens you get political or bad actors in there that that try to galvanize people and they 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 become that interventionalist force that uses their faith that uses that cherry picks these bible verses look look if you're a Christian, I know you not understand this. There's verses in the Bible that you're not going to like. And there's things that you have to explain to say, like, well, listen, I don't... I, and here's why I don't practice that verse, because I don't believe in that. And that, that's wrong. And so it's very easy to boil a, a line from the, um, the Talmud or you know, the Quran and, and, and boil it down and take it out of context and, and do a hot take on it and say, this is the way they all practice their faith. Whereas they say, man, I I don't read it that way at all. I mean, we have entire segments of, you know, I, as a Christian, at least have entire segments of the Bible where it's man writing laws. And then Joshua comes around God's like, yeah, those laws are dumb. And you're just like, but I just finished reading three chapters about this, about your laws. And God's like, yeah, that's not, that's, I don't operate on law. Like it's, it's different than that. And so it would be easy for somebody to look at me and say, well, you hate homosexuals because look at this, you're talking about stoning them and stuff. And I got to flip over and be like, well, if you do a deep analysis, I don't believe in that. I believe that that was man trying to contend with righteousness. And so it, what we have is a, an eagerness to demonize usually one side or the other. Uh, nobody's hands are clean. Both can, should be, and will be at some point, religions of peace again. Um, it's a matter of getting this authority, this religious authority away from these political figures and back into the hands of the people. Because the more people that study, look, your friends that you might have at your local mosque or um, synagogue, they, they're great people. I mean, the, the, people are genuinely good. Um and and generally good, and there are a couple of bad ones, and sometimes they feel they just focus so much on the evils of the other ones that they make it feel like you have no choice. And that is what's going on in the Middle East. Um, like I said, my th- I, I look at this largely theological, that's kind of what shades my view of the entire history of that region and even the current events of that region is a lot of what's going on with the theology. but it it is just it is a classic case. Of what happens when you lend your agency to a human being and not to an ever-loving God, that you start to lean away from those verses that tell you to stay away from stay away from violence, to refrain from murder, that refrain from anger. Both religions have verses that strongly condemn hitting back. You know, both have verses that say you are not to gain revenge when somebody aggresses against you. But what happens is people will focus on the wrong verses. They'll take them out of context. They'll put it out there for their own people. And all of a sudden, you're just a religion of violence and there's no saving you. And I look at both the Israeli and the Palestinian people, Chris, just like you mentioned, they want, they want sewage, water, food. Both sides are throwing punches. I don't care which side stops throwing punches first. But as soon as one side stops, that will be the end of violence in the Middle East.
0: Yeah, I mean, outsourcing your religion to politicians is really a hot theme right now. Um, It'll be interesting when Trump to troll just endorses Caitlyn Jenner, and uh, (laughs) we'll see what what the people who've been ranting against trans people for the last five years will do do then. Uh, Harry, any thoughts on this?
1: Well, the main thing with it is, uh it is a lot of the, the the when you try to dissect the issue, when you try to go through it you just realize it's just a lot of also a lot of bad government policies a lot of people also using religion to enact bad government policies in that area to to also like make this massive powder keg um because even when you look at things like well this was done for that reason this was a good thing but yeah but what was the other thing that begets the other thing, which also made the other thing. It, it's just, oof, it's a, I, you hope for peace in the area. You hope that eventually people understand that it's, it's more of their governments are mad at each other and not themselves, that themselves, what they want to get together. They want to have houses. They want to have this community and which a lot of them do. They, and some of them are realizing, but that's a very small minority. It's very small, you know, of people in and in, I don't know. It's one side is heavily funded by the West and will continue to have massive support and weapons. The other one's supported by people who hate the people that support them. And it's just, it's almost like it's a massive, you know, it's just an ongoing proxy war, at some, at, even at some points. but
0: Yeah, with it's, regular it's, people in the middle getting bombed and getting their sewage cut off. And it's just, it's terrible. And... um yeah. So yeah. all right everybody, thank you so much for joining us here on the Chris Spangle show. Thank you to Harry and Hody and Reinhold and Zach Reth for coming on and hopefully you've enjoyed this. We need your help. If you if you got something out of this, then please share the show. Tell your friends. That is the best way for the show to grow. And for the entire network to grow, please go subscribe to all the shows at dot Libertarians.com and support us financially at joinwallplus.com. You'll get all kinds of great benefits like the history of modern politics, thirty-nine new minutes. You're getting you're gonna get an extra ninety minutes of historical content. It's not politics, it's not me talking about like we talked about the default state of human government. <clears throat> um I have something in my throat. (laughs) (coughs) It's God saying stop self-promoting too much.
1: No, no. never.
0: We talked about how you need to look through the lens of history and how often it is propaganda. So make sure you go check out the History of Modern Politics. Learn more at historyofmodernpolitics.com. Check out Hody's new show, The Enemy of My Enemy with Hody Johns. And uh Harry Reinhold, we'll see you next Saturday. And thank you, everybody. And please share, tell your friends. We love you. We'll see you soon.